Hear me? Check, check. Hui, hui, hui. Hi friends, it's Andriy Vasilenko and welcome to Metallic Geek, where we are over-analyzing our favorite fucking band. But now it's more than just that. It turned into a mission to interview the fucking band. It's a big goal, it's gonna be a long road, and we have to deserve it. But we'll get there. Alright, let me introduce my guest, and more than just guest, maybe our co-host, our future co-host of Metallic Geek. If you like the guy, I'm sure you will. Please welcome Eric. What's up, guys? Alright, SM2. Metallica released both video, audio, and all the good stuff a couple days ago. They recorded it last year as celebration of SM, which was 20 years before, which was partially conceived all the way back in 1991, and we can track the classical roots of Metallica all the way back to Cliff Burton. So this goes like a thread throughout Metallica history. And sooner or later, it had to find an outlet. We'll dissect SM2, we'll do some comparison with SM1, what was amazing, what was not so amazing, with some insights of Metallica history, Metallica songwriting, we'll go through some comments. I asked you a couple of hours ago to hurry up, to share your thoughts on SM2, get comfy and enjoy the discussion. How do you feel about the whole thing? It has its pros and it has its cons. The They wanted a much more of a connective experience with the audience this time. So it wasn't, let's say, as much of a studio version as the first SM was. You can hear more of the crowd this time, more of that kind of uh, atmospheric feel that you would feel like if you're in an actual stadium. And it had a much more of a live-based focused than the first one did. So it, it brought a different kind of, um, not just a different vibe, but like a different soul and a different attitude to it, even with, even with the same songs being played. Yeah, they are different. They are different renditions of the same concept. Metallica with Symphony. This is not just they like, copied SM1. They brought a lot of new stuff, a lot of new colors to SM2 on top of their... 20 years older, and they have a new bassist. New bassist. He is actually, he's been in Metallica for 17 years, longer than... Um, I know, he's still new to me, you know, it's, it's so weird. Yeah. yeah, time flies, time flies, but well, in between two SMs, we had only three Metallica albums. Kill Em All, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppet. Three years, three albums. Now we have 20 years, three albums. I know, it's kind of a bummer. All right, we start from the very beginning. The very beginning is the same beginning of SNM 1 2. The Ecstasy of Gold and the Call of Cthulhu. The first Symphonic Cthulhu received a Grammy, actually, for the best instrumental metal performance. I think there's no such nomination anymore. That was epic. That was the first time they stepped on the stage and played with Symphony. Jason added his own touch to the bass line. He did not copy Cliff. And that's the point. That's the point. And what do we have now? Rob did a great job, an amazing job on Cthulhu. But the point of Cthulhu, actually, the bass, leading bass, first half of the song after the clean intro, is bass taking the lead. It was quiet on Ride the Lightning. We could not hear what Cliff actually played. And that's why bassists love Cthulhu. But most of people actually might not realize what a great composition it is, because the mid bass, they cannot hear it. They cannot exactly. hear what is happening underneath guitars and drums. 
and Cleave did basically three minutes by solo there. And because of that, they may think that Cthulhu is a boring composition. At least they could have shown Rob playing his parts. And they show him only twice for a couple of seconds through an entire eight minute track. You know, I've noticed I've noticed when they do film a lot of the live concerts, you think like when they would show James, they don't when you think they would show Kirk. So you noticing the same thing with Rob. I've noticed that when they do the editing, sometimes you think they'd be like, oh, hey, you know, James is, um, you know, going into his rhythm riff and they won't show him. They'll show Rob or show Kirk or they'll show Lars. So it's interesting that you say that about the bass. Maybe it's because they don't feel like the bass is standing out enough to where to them it's like, oh, it's a guitar driven track. So we're just going to show, you know, uh, James and Kirk. Yeah, that would be the case if it was a live broadcast, if uh, the guys who did the angles, the shots of the camera, they were not Metallica's staff. Right. But who edited SDM2 for the official release? They were Metallica's staff and they should have known. They should have showed bassist more on Cthulhu, and they did not. Don't you think that bassist is doing his best to not fuck up the leaks of Cliff Burton? I hope that was because they hurried, they rushed editing for the cinema release, and they would have plenty time to re-edit it for the Blu-ray DVD. And they did not change a thing about Cthulhu montage. There was a fun moment in some song that we had a double shot of James spitting, like two parts of the <laughs> of the screen, and they show him spitting in two angles. <laughs> but they did not have time to re-edit Rob's performance. Maybe they'll do a sequel of uh, Cliff and Maul and just call it Rob Maul. For whom the Beltles was the most important part of whom the Beltles. Well, you're you're a bassist, so I know you you want to see like the bass like right there. You know, it's like bring me the meat. You know, yes, right but the intro from the Beltos is the most important part, and it is bass. It has to be in the front. It is hearable on Ride the Lightning, the album where we cannot hear much of Cliff actually, but the intro was there. And on SM2, they actually doubled the part with some. I think there was flutes. The double part. Na, 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 na. And we could hear the flutes, but not the fucking bass. I noticed that throughout the um, throughout the recording that there were certain things that took precedence over others when you're kinda of like, wait a minute, why is that? You would hear the you'd hear the band more than the symphony, and then sometimes you'd hear the symphony more than the band. Make it loud as fuck in the intro bass, and then make it quieter. How could they not see the importance of bass in Cthulhu and the intro of Beltos? Fuck the rest! But, the, but these ones do the proper work. Then we have The Day That Never Comes. The first out of seven new arrangements for SM2. You know, I had some mixed feelings about it at first, um, but I really, really liked how the symphony matched the, um, the melody and the groove that the guitar was. It kind of brought like another, you know, feel to it, another epic vibe. Overall, I think it was, uh, they did really good. Um, doing it with that because you know you have a very long instrumental piece um, after you know love is a four-letter word and you know they go through that riff and then they go for a, you know a couple of minutes doing yeah. the elongated instrumental section it, it's just one of those songs where you feel like does it sound better with the symphony or does it sound better without a symphony and i feel like the symphony in some parts it was better if it was just metallica but in other parts it was better with the symphony and in terms of the symphony orchestration i think they did a great job even though 
you can already hear the difference between the previous song, What Was It? The Beltles and Tulu, the charts were done by Michael Kamen. And now we have something that was not done by Michael Kamen. Michael T. Thomas, yeah. He replaced Michael Kamen on this duty, a hard task to do oh, oh. a shit. whole symphony with all the parts. How many people were there in the orchestra? Like 20, 30? So I would say somewhere between there, yeah. And they have to be like a puzzle. Yep. No one like interferes with one another. And Michael Kamen was a genius. He could do layer on top of the layer and different melodies, different part, different phrasing. And they were like match, like inborn. And actually Michael Kamen did all the 20 songs in like one, two months. Metallica cannot finish a fucking album in eight years. And he came up with at least couple hundred parts uh-huh. for different instruments Yeah, in a couple of months. That's amazing. The guy, Michael, the guy, he could be my grandfather, he probably thought that I better not overdo this. Best arrangements from the first one and the second one, and I noticed some similarities. But yeah, overall, I, I agree on that. And yeah, my most favorite part of the day, the orchestration, was where Kirk solo was doubled <laughs> by strings. Then we have The Memory Remains. My not-so-favorite Metallica song, but it sounds great live, especially the outro part, where the sound, the crowd sings that that part. It just is, because like James says to the crowd, let's see how loud you can get, you know, for this. And it's a great way to bring the crowd in and have them be a part of the band, so to speak. Yeah, and that's a rare case in Metallica songs to have this crowd moment. They should do this on the next album. That would have sounded so fucking cool um, with having a crowd in the background and they were also playing, you know, the melody too on the guitar. I'm like, that's fucking awesome. They should invite fans to record a section for the studio version of uh, a new Metallica song with a crowdy uh, vibe. Not to do just uh, Metallica guys and then do a hundred doubles like they did on Die, the Die section. There was Cliff, everyone was in the studio shouting Die. At least one song with this moment on the next album would be appreciated. (laughs) Something that Metallica have not done yet, to record fans. The thing is with Metallica is they don't only surprise their fans, I know they also surprise themselves. Because you know, they'll they'll be like, oh man, this riff is so good, let's do this or we're gonna do that. And that's the cool thing is they like to challenge themselves and that makes them that much better of a band because they're not going to be like oh what are they doing what are these people doing you know it's kind of like you know what we like the sound of this this is what we're going to fucking do if anything we we can help you make next album (laughs) right here right here memory remains is uh, the only song from lord reload yeah to be on sdm2 outlaw torn i forgot outlaw torn oh yeah two songs one for load one for reload but on the other hand sdm1 had like five or six songs from both Load and Reload because those were the latest albums Metallica had to promote. And so they included songs from those albums, both popular and not so popular. And this time they have Hardwired, their latest album, and they had to promote this album and to include more songs from this one. And we had Hell on Fire, Moth into Flame and Confusion. Hell on Fire, Moth into Flame were more like a predictable pick and Confusion was more like what? We I was surprised. <laughs> I was I was surprised in that. Yeah. And that's the next one, the fifth song, Confusion. In this uh, rendition, it sounds 
more pleasant to me. I agree. I I think with the orchestra, it sounded fucking awesome. Symphony filled some gaps. If your song sucks or it is rather mediocre, how to make it better? How to pull it off? Symphony. Put symphony in it. That's right, it man. Will, it will cover all the flaws on songwriting. It's like putting makeup on a girl or you know lipstick on. That's not the case with Metallica because almost all the songs are self-sufficient. They are good enough on themselves. But Confusion is probably the only one on the list which needed such a help by Symphony to make it better. Mountain to Flame, it, it, it sank in terms of orchestration and sound. It did not fit. It was the biggest um, single off of, uh, off of Hardwired, so obviously they would have to have it on, you know, the, on S&M 2. And because of that, it being such a popular single, the symphony, just for whatever reason, it couldn't have been constructed the way that, you know, people wanted it to be kind of thing. Every time they either doubled guitars or they just emphasized where guitars emphasized. Right. And that's it. And sometimes it was, it sounded too off. A random part, like a violinist sneezed and he played something. Or oh, I did not, I did not. One that. The Outlaw Torn. You know, I have to say, if I had to pick one song that was the best, it was Outlaw Torn. And I love, I love the fucking way the guitar, when the guitar riff yeah. comes in the main riff, it's just, it's, it's prominent. It didn't take a backseat. It took the, you know, fucking center stage. I can't say enough good things about the performance, man. 11 out of 10 rating. The thing was fucking awesome. Yeah. Both times, 1999 and 2019. Both times, the Outlaw Tour was the highlight of the show. This time, they played it a bit faster, I think. A bit faster. They, it added some punch to it. It has its own character in 2018, compared to 20 years ago version. Oh, yeah. I, I can't, like I said, I can't say enough good things about that performance. It was fucking awesome. So, James's solo, going from the back, he had such a blast playing it. Yeah. You can see how he enjoys playing his solo. His... It's such a rare occasion when we have like seven solos of full value by James, not counting harmonies. He did all the harmonies, but we need at least one solo in the next album. James, we really like it. Yeah. He brings a different vibe. He, he really puts his like whole life and energy source. It, it's very like it's melodic and it's emotional. You know, watching somebody play like blues guitar and they're, and they're shut off to the rest of the world kind of thing. Yeah, and he knows that he has on the one shot on the album to have a solo. So he puts everything into it. He works on it. He does not throw it like on the latest album, Kirk came into the studio. All right, I'm ready. He, he half improvised all the solos. Right. That's not his approach. James likes to elaborate on his shit. The drum feels, again, Lars a bit spoiled this performance with his drum feels. <laughs> But that's not... Let's move on to the good stuff. Like, like, don't fucking do it! Oh, James's vocals were awesome on Outlaw Torn, too. Yeah, that's the most uh, exemplary song in terms of vocals. And he still got it. He's, yeah, he I'm does. so glad he got those notes. Fucking right. That's the song where Kirk uses Slide to play a solo. Yeah. And we talked about the Metallica Sound Police. When now, whenever <laughs> now Kirk tries to incorporate Slide or whatever, unusual... The guys say, no, that's not, Metallica Sound Police does not approve it. Right. For fuck's sake, the Outlaw Torn, you play it live now, you don't mind slide now, but you don't like, don't allow it on the new record. 
I, I think, you know, it's whatever sounds great. Go with that, no matter how different or how, you know, the same it might be from before. Sounds good. Put it in. Yeah, we'll see. So, again, new suggestions for the next album. Allow Kirk to do some weird shit. Wasn't there talks during SNM one to include Wasting My Hate and Fade to Black? Because I remember a lot of fans were like, dude, you guys should play Fade to Black. But it sounded like there was some kind of orchestral arrangement that wouldn't like mesh well or some shit. I, I can't recall on that. That's weird. Fade to Black was born to be performed with orchestra. Uh, they asked what was the most difficult song to be played with symphony. And they said, no, there was none. We had the other problem. We had too much songs to pick to yeah, make arrangements. That. Yeah, that's a good problem to have, though. So, since they did not have that problem anymore, why didn't they include more of the iconic songs? They planned Unforgiven and Fade to Black for SNM 1, but there were some problems here. They could not make it uh, work as proper as they wished at least have two new songs. That was my biggest yeah. bummer about listening to is that they did not have any new material. Yeah, they have seven songs, new arrangements. Only one song from before 2000s. Anesthesia. We don't I even don't have the right words. That was unexpected. That really yeah. did justice to the whole pre-2000 era of Metallica. That tribute for to Cliff Burton. I would be alright with not having Fade to Black, with not having Orion. That rendition of Anastasia made up for it. They should have that guy come in for the new album. Hmm, interesting. I made some predictions a year ago what the set list would be like. But actually, I was so optimistic about it. I hoped they would include most, most of the songs would be new arrangements. And they would throw like a couple of best hits from the SDM one, like no leaf clover, nothing less matters, and the rest would be all the new songs that they have not done with Symphony, Fade to Black, Orion, and all the good stuff. Right. Ah, I should have foreseen that they would take more pragmatic approach. They would take 14 songs from SNN1 stuff written by Michael Kamen, they played it. That actually makes sense. It would have been cooler with the newer set list because the great thing is is that you've already got all those on SNM1. Having something completely new and different on SNM2 would have been awesome. But that would be quite a work. So much work. And they promoted it like we celebrate SNM1. 20 years. So we will play most of the songs from SNM1 because we celebrate it. And to see how we, 20 years older, perform it now. Yep. <laughs> Dead Forgiven 3, another highlight, without which it would have fallen apart. James said that he was nervous about it, and we could see that. He was like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with these hands? And, yeah, I and know, you have a guitar to kind of just, you just feel like <laughs> you're exposed. Yeah. He did a great job, he, he was all exposed with this song, which is so personal to him. He said that the Unforgiven 3 was his favorite part. I actually broke down the... All three Unforgivens in the video from June, I think. I'll leave a link. All the three Unforgivens, what makes this trilogy so great? Such a smart decision to let him just sing. Absolutely. Sing it out. To tell the story himself. The man tell his story. Without the guys. Without those fuckers. <laughs> who just uh, <laughs> made it too loud to, to hear James. Yeah. 
You know, Symphony did re- a really good job. That riff in the main riff in Unforgiven Three flowed very well when it came down to being used with different instruments. I thought it was a really good pick that they did, and it couldn't have been done better. Yeah, and the intro of the Unforgiven Three is an already symphony piece. It had horn, strings, piano. Letting James sing was the final touch, and maybe that version did justice to the song, and more people come to like it more. Yeah. It, it is still an underrated piece. No Leaf Clover. It's one of the smartest riffs, at least for me, that I've ever heard. Because when I hear it, you know, it's such an original sounding riff where I'm just like, fuck, man, that doesn't sound like anything else that you guys got. And it's just such, to me, just so smartly done. I would definitely say the first one was better. But then again, you know, the first one was more of the studio focus. We've got a brand new song. They tweaked it, they polished it, they used yeah. autotune. Oh my god, autotune. We'll get to it a bit later about autotune. Or fuck gotcha. it, I'll discuss it now. <laughs> SN1, SNM2. SNM1 is filled with autotune. It was annoying, but at that point, it was something new to Metallica. Like, well, we'll try it. Yeah. And they really did over the top. Over the top, completely, on SNM1. On SNM2, there is probably some. A little bit of autotune, maybe. The crappiest thing about this in the one was that it has such an annoying autotune, especially on Nothing Less Matters. <sighs> I cannot listen to that performance of that song. I cannot. My ears bleed because of autotune. I feel like SM2 was the live version of SM1, the studio record. Yeah, it was more stripped down. You hear how we play, we are not afraid to show our mistakes. There were few mistakes. And right. uh, I'm sure there were few mistakes on SNM1 too. But they wanted to make it a perfect album. I think if people look at it that way more, they'll enjoy and appreciate both SNM1 and SNM2 more. Because if they look at it like SNM1's the studio recording, SNM2 is the live recording, I think people will be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's pretty badass now. And then Hail and Fire. Oh, yeah. You know that I don't like this song as much as you do, as much as most people do. Because right. it's more like a staged together riffs without much transition between them. It resembles Fade to Black. They deliberately made it reference to Fade to Black in this song. Especially the outro and the overall feeling. Like it's Fade to Black's cousin. Because Fade to Black's kids are... Dead Forgiven, one, two, three. <laughs> Those are Fatal Black's kids. And this is like Cousin. They could have done a better job making this song more a consistent flow without stopping and boom, and then you have the new part. Several riffs without much connection. They just boom, boom, boom. Oh, kind of like Spit Out the Bone was in a way. Spit Out the Bone kind of had that too. And they shortened Spit Out the Bone. Spit Out the Bone was yeah. almost 10, ten minutes. minutes. Yeah. They should have shortened Hello Fire too. Again, Metallica, we will <laughs> help you make another record. Greg Fiddleman will be your assistants. We can help yeah. you know, do whatever you need. Do you remember like when Bob Rock got a lot of shit because he would always tell them to try to do something else? And, you know, Metallica plays by their own rules, which is the only way to do it. But then they started kind of coming on board with that and going, okay, let's do that. And I think they do not regret a single moment doing that. The Black Album has balance. Hardwired attempted to have that balance but again maybe that's because they don't have bob rock anymore 
Or us, or us. <laughs> or us, yeah, yeah. That's the key word. We're such smart asses. We know all this stuff, yeah. <laughs> They're going to look at this and be like, what a bunch of shit. The great thing about SM2 set list, what they did not on SM1, they did covers. Two covers. And not covers of some rock songs, but classical pieces that really fit in Metallica's sound. Because Iron Foundry was composed to replicate the sounds of a factory, all this cycles, gears moving. They have riffs in them. Something that uh, the piece was ahead of its time. Ostinato. Ostinato is that when a melody, short melody repeats. It was not that popular up until 60s, when rock and roll, heavy metal reinvented riffing for guitar. Right. I think Kirk, um, where he did that, that little, yeah, yeah. it would have been cool if then they all of a sudden went into like another classical music, almost like a medley. They should have done something like Merciful Fate medley. Fucking but awesome. Again, they, I think they need, needed to stay focused and they needed to find the most efficient way to make it happen. Medley would be too much. They would be spreading too thin. Wishful thinking, and, like, and that's, it's a good thing that you're mentioning that because you know people being fans aren't going to know the amount of labor and hard work that go in it unless they're in Metallica yeah. And they realize, holy fuck, man, there's a lot more to this than we thought. So that's a very good observation that you said. I'm, I agree with you. As much as we can wish for it, we still got to realize what you're wishing for and realize, oh, shit, they're doing other tours. They've got their yeah. family. You know, they, they, this is something that requires much more time. Cliff Burton would have approved it. Imagine Metallica doing a metal version of some Beethoven or Bach. The whole S&M enterprise is also partly tribute to Cliff Burton, to his classical roots, to his academic knowledge of music. Something that I wish Cliff was part of. Yeah. Oh, I know he appreciates it, man. I'm sure he liked SM1 and SM2, especially probably SM2 because of the like pure like focus of yeah. live. More of a connection with the instruments yeah. rather than a connection with like technology on how to make the instruments sound a certain way. Comments. What do you guys, friends, think about SM2? As I scroll through your comments, a lot of things you say that we did. Like a lot of you say that the biggest issue of SM2 was too much songs from SM1. That those songs did not leave much room for new stuff, such as you wanted to live to die, Ryan, ride the lightning, anything from the old days, except anesthesia. We don't have anything from the old days. This record is much better than the 99's one, but there's still no Orion. Yeah, Anesthesia Waterfare was a quite fair trade. That worked out. That gave... They needed to give James and Kirk some break. You know, they are almost 60 now. <laughs> I personally really enjoyed it, but the biggest issue for me, issue, is the returning songs from SMDM1. Yeah, we needed more new songs. I think we both agree on that. Yeah, loved it. Everything was good, except these few. Some songs, like Moss, have orchestra mixed too quietly. Also, it feels like they could have included Minus Human instead of some weaker song. Yeah, Minus Human would have kicked ass. I love that song, man. Minus Human, dude. It's such a great driving song. You just turn it on, you just fucking cruise. It's, it's, it's an underrated song, in my opinion. Yeah, but they might have decided that No Leaf Clover would be enough for the set. Like, yeah. That's the hit, that's the single, that's the song that everyone knows. But again, con confusion. Why? 
I rediscovered my life, my love for Out of Torn. I think a lot of Amen, guys would share it too. But yep. as a whole, I didn't think that the performances were as strong as the first one. They took some risks, some paid off, some did not. Such is life. But again, that's the point to compare how they perform 20 years later. And in general, they did such a great job. They were also engulfed by the symphony. I, I kind of preferred it like in the first one where you just had no obstruction of the band. You know, this they were just kind of like in this fishbowl. The mixing. A lot of you point out the mixing, bad mixing. I'm not much of a mixing guy. Maybe sometimes drums were too loud. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes symphony was louder and quieter. The balance, what we should listen to more, guitars, vocals, symphony, drums, drums every time. <laughs> because Lars took the spotlight. As a standalone product, SNM2, my only gripe was that there were just no brand new songs that they wrote, you know, that no one has ever heard. Other than that, yeah, you know, like yeah. I'd, I'd probably say an eight, to be honest, an 8.5 out of 10. It was a very great out. It's a fucking damn good album. And, and that's coming from a live album that didn't have that studio influx or anything. This is, you know, like St. Anger was recorded, very just kind of gritty, grimy, you know, more of that garage feel. This had more of that theater feel. I would do an 8.5 borderline nine, actually, when I think about it. The fact that they picked a set list from all their albums, great idea. Um, but changing it up a little bit, because, you know, I understand it's a live concert. People want to hear their classic songs. I understand that, but I see, I see where, um, I see where they were kind of like damned if they do, damned if they don't. So I know they're like, we have to play our classic songs, but we also want to implement newer songs. So it would have been cooler if they, they implemented some songs from those albums, you know, like Fade to Black from Ride the Lightning yeah. instead of Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, but I think they had the hard choice to pick. They need, they had, they wanted to do tribute to Cliff Burton, and they had Anastasia. Orion to lose to die. Three songs. They had to pick one. Yeah. And they went with anesthesia because firstly, that's easier to make. Um, yeah. And secondly, and maybe firstly, it was such an unusual and unexpected and badass version. They could not play all the three. Anesthesia, Orion to lose to die. Because that would be too much. They need one place of the gig. All for Cliff. All for Cliff. When you go into the details like that, it, it really kind of puts the listener into a, a different position and be like, you know what? The album's actually better than you would think if you didn't really kind of get down to those fine details. Like when you mention all that kind of stuff and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to give it an 8.5. If you look at it from what they had to go through, what they had to pick and try to get the final product out there, because SNM existed, I would give it an 8.5 because it had the two brand new songs. But as a standalone, if SNM 1 did not exist, a 9 out of 10. They had to give up 80%, more than 80% of their songs. And, well, they had to consider the most efficient way to make it happen. Michael T. Thomas did a great job, still. Yes, still did. did a great job. Absolutely did. Could have been more layers, but they played safe to mm -hmm. make it not overdone. <laughs> right. So, yeah. It's it's a great it's a great album. You know, it's I'm very fucking happy that they did it. I tried to go to the concert, but you know, the legacy members had the uh, the opportunity. And I hope SM2 will inspire Metallica to do their next album even greater. To include yeah. some things, to include some ideas from SM. Uh, 
we'll see. We'll see. The new album is coming. I hope next year they have a lot of ideas. They have a lot of energy. Hire us. Yeah, hire, yeah. We we're not that expensive to hire. Fuck, I'll do it for free. Definitely, we're gonna be cheaper than that uh, psychiatrist you hired on Centenger. <laughs> Two questions at the end. First, what question would you ask Metallica and who? If I have this opportunity, I'll ask them. Just as an interview, the only question, to be honest, would probably be to Kirk, and that's what who wrote what riffs? What are all of your riffs? Yes. What are Cliff's riffs? And what are are um, uh, Dave's riffs? That would be the only question I would have to ask them. All the riffs, not just yeah. some, just all of them. The ultimate list, all your riffs. That's actually the meta mission of this podcast, to find out all the Kirk's riffs. Yeah. That's the main question. And the second question would be, actually, you suggested this question. You have the list of questions to Metallica you shared with oh. me. That caught my eye immediately. All right, answer this. Okay. <laughs> Boops or butts? Oh, fuck, man. <laughs> uh, I've always been a boob guy, but yet again, most of my ex-girlfriends had big butts, so... Oh man, I want to take them both. It's like you need to have the perfect album. It's like if you're going to have a guitar, you're going to need to have a bass, you know? You're going to have drums. Yeah. yeah. Oh shit. If I can only pick one, I don't know if I can only pick one. Hell. Plus one for oh, both. All right. I won't say my answer because I want to keep it secret through the whole podcast, through the whole history of the podcast. You wonder what I prefer. It fits becomes a tradition, I will ask the same question to all the Metallica members. Team Boobs or Team Butt? That was a start, a rough start. Maybe somewhere in the future, down the road, we'll have this way James Hetfield, Kirk, Lars, Robert, Jason, Bob Rock. And you did a great job. You are inborn podcaster, host, talker. To, to the fans, hey, you know what? I'm a fan of uh, Andre. Because that's how I discovered, you know, him in the first place, seeing his videos and everything and Instagramming him. What this guy does, man, goes above and beyond what I've seen on, you know, anybody who follows an artist and whatnot. And we have our similarities and our differences with Metallica. And, you know, given this opportunity right now, he's in Ukraine. I'm in California. I mean, international compatibility, you know, it doesn't matter how many thousands of miles there are. And I think we're both in agreement too, especially with right now. The album was fucking awesome, you know, it, regardless of what um, gripes we had, amazing fucking album, and you guys need to go and fucking buy it, you know, it's worth every fucking minute. Man, I'm so grateful. Thank you, man. It was yeah, such man. an experience, and I hope to see you more, maybe in every other episode of Metallic Geek, and in between, we'll do shows with the other guests first, with the Metallica fans like you and me, suggest the bloggers, suggest the musicians who are serving Metallica community, and they will gradually, gradually earn, earn the spot to be with Metallica. Final words, couple of words. Thank you for listening, and like you know, Andre says, keep it metal. Thanks for listening and watching, and hear you next time, friends. Hui, hui. <laughs>